Today we're going to take up the final period in Old Testament history, restoration period. We've had primeval, patriarchal, Egyptian, wilderness, conquest, judges, United Kingdom, divided kingdom, exile, uh, uh, divided kingdom, single kingdom, number 10, exile, and number 11, the restoration period. Now last time, last Friday morning, we took up the exile period. We noticed that there were three deportations in the exile, first in 605, second in 597, and third in 586. 586, when Nebuchadnezzar made the third invasion into uh, uh, Judea and Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and lay siege to the city for 18 months, Nebuchadnezzar ended up by destroying two things. Now, what are those two things that he destroyed? What did Nehemiah destroy, uh, Nebuchadnezzar destroy? The temple and the wall. That's important because the book of Ezra deals with the rebuilding of the temple, and the book of Nehemiah deals with the rebuilding of the walls, and Haggai and Zechariah are the two prophets that encourage uh, the uh, uh, Jews to complete the rebuilding of the temple, and Malachi is probably associated with Nehemiah in his revival and his reform. So, <clears throat> 586, the temple's destroyed. 586, the wall's destroyed. That's given to us in 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. He destroys, Nebuchadnezzar does, the temple and the walls. Ezra deals with the rebuilding of the temple. Nehemiah deals with the rebuilding of the walls. Now, there were three prophets during that exile period. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and one prophet that lived all the way through the exile, went in the first deportation and was living when Babylon fell. And that, of course, is the prophet Daniel. Babylon fell in October 539 B.C. The key city, O-P-I-S, which is northeast of the city of Babylon, was captured and destroyed by Cyrus. And that left Babylon wide open. Babylon and, and, and Cyrus himself didn't conquer Babylon. A general by the name of U-G-B-A-R-U, Yugbaru, uh, invaded and destroyed the city of Babylon. Uh, didn't destroy it, invaded and captured it in one night. And uh, soon after that, a man by the name of Darius the Mede, probably the same as General Gobrius, Darius, Darius the Mede, not the Darius on the blackboard, but the Darius the Mede, a general under Cyrus, was made the sovereign, odd interim, until Cyrus could come into the city. And it was Darius the Mede that did something with Daniel. What did he do? Put him in the lion's den. And it was under Darius the Mede that Daniel had the vision of the 70 weeks of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. Now that Babylon is gone and the Persian Empire is dominant, we're ready for the final period, the period of the restoration. Now on our outline, we're studying six things. Is that right on your outline, six things? What's the first one? Scripture, the second one is theme, the third one, dates, the fourth, Geography, the fifth one, events, and the sixth one, 
persons or people. All right, number one, the Scripture. Scripture. Well, there are seven books that give us the uh, uh, seven books, six books in part of Daniel that tell us about the restoration period. Six books. They're called six post-exilic books. Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, plus uh, part of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 through 12 is written in, the, in that post-exilic period, or at least after the fall of Babylon. So those are the six books, Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Number two, what is the theme of the, of the restoration period? Well, very simple. The theme is the restoration of the Jews to Judea. The theme is the restoration of the Jews to Judea. And I want to notice quickly four things about that theme and about that restoration. I think it's on the outline, is it not? First one is that the restoration was predicted. It was predicted in Isaiah chapter 4. 150 years before Cyrus was born, Isaiah predicted that Cyrus would uh, be raised up and would allow the Jews to return. Let's take our Bibles and turn to that. I think it would be worthwhile to take just a minute look at that. Isaiah chapter 44 and 45. Isaiah chapter 44. The last verse in Isaiah 44, Isaiah 44, 28, predicts Cyrus. Now, what we want to keep in mind is that this prophecy was written 150 years before Cyrus was born, 150 years before Cyrus came on the scene. This is written about 700 B.C., and Cyrus... <coughs> uh, became the, uh, uh, started to uh, move, uh, become the sovereign, didn't overcome Babylon at that time, in about 500 and, uh, about 555, if my memory serves me right. So here's about 150 years. Verse 28, Isaiah 44, 28, who saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even say unto Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and of the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. Chapter 45, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his Messiah, that a word anointed is Mashiach, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue the nations before him, I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I'll be, go before thee, and, and uh, so on down the line. And uh, Cyrus is described in Isaiah 48, 44, and 45 predicted that he will come on the scene and that he will, he will issue a degree by, decree by which the Jews will be able to return to Judea. Now, <clears throat> that's a prophecy. That was written, my coming across here, that was written 100 years, 150 years before Cyrus ever came on the scene. That's why the liberals who don't believe in predictive prophecy tell us that Isaiah 40 to 46 was written by a second, what they call the Deutero-Isaiah, by a second Isaiah, and it was written after Isaiah lived. And you go to most liberal seminaries, 
and you'll find the theory of the deutero and sometimes the trito and sometimes the quarto for Isaiah, who wrote the book of Isaiah. But surely, deutero Isaiah. That's been a very popular theory, and the presupposition behind it is that there's no such thing in the Bible as predictive prophecy. The impossible, it'd be impossible for Isaiah to name the man's name and tell what he's going to do 150 years before the man ever came on the scene. Well, the premise behind that is that God did not write the Bible. If we believe in the sovereign God, then that sovereign God knows the end from the beginning, and he can predict, and so we have no difficulty with that. I don't. I believe that uh, Isaiah wrote the whole book of uh, Isaiah, and that Isaiah predicted the rise of Cyrus and that Cyrus would issue the decree. And it may well be that um, when Cyrus got into the city, Daniel was already made by Darius, the interregnum king. Uh, Daniel was already made the third president of the 120 satraps into which the Persian Empire was divided. And that meant that Daniel would have access to Cyrus. And uh, although the Bible doesn't tell us, I don't have uh, too much difficulty in believing and supposing that Daniel went to Cyrus and showed him the prophecy of Isaiah and showed him the prophecy of Jeremiah. Isaiah predicted the man who would let the Jews return, Cyrus, and Jeremiah predicted the length of time, 70 years. And when Cyrus saw that, then he issued that decree given to us in Ezra chapter 1 by which the Jews were allowed to return to the, uh, to the land of Judea. So the restoration now, second thing under the theme, the restoration was accomplished by two things. First, by the fall of Babylon and the rise of Persia, and secondly, by the decree of Cyrus which was issued in 538 B.C. The key persons, well, there are a lot of them. Cyrus, Darius the Mede, Sheshbasher, Haggai, Zechariah, all these men. The number of returns. How many returns were there to, um, to uh, Jerusalem? Well, there were three returns to Jerusalem. Just as there were three deportations, there were also three returns to Jerusalem. There were three deportations. The first deportation was in 605. Who went in that deportation? Daniel. <clears throat> Second deportation was in <clears throat> 597. Ezekiel went in that one. The third deportation was in, was in uh, 586. And in that one, the temple and the walls were destroyed. And Jeremiah <clears throat> was taken down into Egypt. Now, just as there were three deportations, so there were three returns. The first return was in 536 B.C. under a man by the name of Shesh Basher. The second return was in 457 B.C., and that was under Ezra, and the third return, really a double return, was, uh, was in 444 B.C., 
and that was under a man by the name of Nehemiah. So there are three returns. First one in 536, the second one in 457, third one in 444. Now, what was rebuilt in 536 to 516? The temple. The temple was rebuilt 536 to 516. 536 to 516. And when you take that 605 down to 516, you get the 70 years captivity. That's how that's figured. Uh, pardon me, from, from 605 to 535 when they began the temple. That's how you get that 70 years captivity. So in 536, the temple was begun. It was finished in 516. And then in 444 is the year in which Nehemiah returned and the walls were rebuilt. Temple rebuilt 536 to 516. The walls rebuilt in 444. Uh, Ezra went back to hold a, a revival and a reformation. Now, those are the three returns of the Jews to Palestine. In the first one, uh, 536, there were about 50,000 Jews, including the servants, that returned. In the second one, 457, there were about 1,800 Jews that returned. And in the third one, Nehemiah, there were just a few hundred Jews that returned in the return of Nehemiah uh, to, that, uh, to Judea and to Jerusalem. All right, number three, the dates. What are the dates? Well, the dates are 538 to 430 B.C. 538 is the date of the issue of the decree of Cyrus, that enabled the Jews to return to Jerusalem, and 430 or 420 B.C. is the end of the Old Testament, anywhere from 430 to 420. We're not exactly sure of the days of Malachi's ministry. That is, we're not sure when Malachi ended his ministry, so we'll put down 420 B.C. So the dates are 538 to about 420, and there are several dates that are important there. 538, Cyrus issued the decree. 536, the Jews returned. 535, they began work on the temple and ceased work. 520, they began work on the temple again. 516, the temple was completed and dedicated. 480 B.C., the story of Esther. 457 B.C., the return of Ezra. 444 B.C., uh, the return of Nehemiah. And he stayed there for 12 years. And 432 B.C., the second return of Nehemiah, he went back to Persia for a short while, and they came back to Jerusalem. Number four, the geography. Well, Babylon, Persia, Media, Fertile Crescent, Samaria, Judea, and Egypt. You know that geography fairly well. At least I hope you know now, by now. Now we come to number five, the event. The event. Now, what we're going to do is look at the chronological order of the event. But before we do, I'm going to say two or three things. First of all, this whole period, 538 to 430 B.C., can be, can be divided into four distinct periods or four distinct eras. And they're all given on that outline. Look on your outline at the event. Look at the outline. 
at your outline at the events. And under the events, you have um, one, two, three, and four. Is that right? All right, what's point one? First, return to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple. That starts under a man by the name of Shesh Basher. What's the second one? Point two, story of Esther. Point three, the second return under Ezra, 457 B.C. And number four, the third return under Nehemiah, 444 B.C. Now, those are the three uh, major uh, periods of this period. The first return under, under, under Sheshbasher to Jerusalem and the resettlement of Jews and the temple rebuilt. That's given to us in Ezra chapters 1 to 6. Takes place from 538 to 516 B.C. The prophets are Haggai and Zechariah. Number two, the story of Esther the queen and of the Jews in Persia. That's Esther 1 to 10. That takes place about 483 to 473 B.C. And the prophet Zechariah ministered. The last chapters of Zechariah belong to that period. Number three, the third era, the second return under Ezra the reformer. That's Ezra 7 to 10. That's when Ezra lived. He didn't live uh, uh, in the time covered by Ezra 1 to 6. But he did live in the time covered Ezra 7 to 10. And that takes place in 457 B.C. And then fourth, the third return under Nehemiah the governor. That's Nehemiah 1 to 13. That's 444 to 432 B.C. And the prophet is Malachi. Now those are the four distinct periods that are given to us on the outline. Now the second thing I want to look at before we look at the chronological order are the kings the king, the Persian king, at least the Persian kings that are related to the, uh, that are related to this period of Old Testament history. There are about five of them. The first one is Cyrus, Cyrus. And <clears throat> Cyrus runs from about uh, 551 B.C., 555 B.C. to 530 B.C. But as far as the fall of Jerusalem is concerned, from 539 to 530 B.C., he ruled over the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire was the first empire that had any right to be called an empire. Uh, the Babylonian was not an empire. The Assyrian was not an empire. But Persia was the first great empire. Uh, uh, under Cyrus and under Cambyses and under Darius, they extended the Persian Empire all the way west to what we would call Turkey, all the way over here to the Turkey. They extended all the way down to Egypt. Now, here, here is Persia right in here. Here's Persia. Here's Susan the palace. What is Persia called today? Iran. Here's Persia. Here's Media. He conquered the Medes. He conquered Babylon, did, the, uh, did Cyrus. And then Cyrus, Cambyses, and Darius the Great moved east and conquered uh, all of what we today would call Turkey, moved south, conquered this, of course, kept this under, con uh, under conquest, conquered northern Egypt, and then moved all the way down to the Indus Valley. 
So Persia uh, had technically the right to be called the first great world empire. It's the chest of silver in the image of Daniel chapter 2. The head of gold is Babylon. The chest is the Medo-Persia and primarily Persia because media passes out of the picture and it's the Persians that become dominant. And they reign from about 539 to 330 B.C. 330 B.C., they're conquered by Alexander the Great and the Persian Empire is over that time. But Persia was a real empire, covered all what we would call uh, Western Asia or Turkey today, covered Syria, Palestine, Egypt, covered uh, the territory we call Armenia today, it covered Media, covered uh, Persia, covered Babylon, covered the Fertile Crescent, and it went all the way down to the Indus River. It was, a, it was truly an empire. Now, <clears throat> Cyrus and uh, Darius were also great organizers. Uh, they, uh, they did two or three things which the Assyrians, the Babylonians, did not do and which made for much better relation with the captive people. Number one, the Assyrians and the Babylonians would enter a place, and when they conquered it, they would take the native people and transport them to other areas and then take foreign people and bring them back to this place here. And they thought by doing that, they would break the spirit and the national the nationalism of that country. But as a matter of fact, what it did do was sow the seeds of discontent and revolt. The second thing they did was they removed the native gods and took them back to their homeland. But Cyrus introduced a new policy. First, he left the people in the land and he put over them native rulers as far as possible who would be accepted by the people, but at the same time be loyal to Cyrus. He divided his empire into 120 what were called satraps or states. And over each one he put a ruler, governor. Then secondly, he returned all the native gods and all the native vessels that were associated with the worship of the gods to the native lands. That's why all the vessels of the temple under Cyrus were taken back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem, and placed in the second temple, that rebuilt temple. And the Persians were fairly wise rulers compared to the rulers of Assyria and Babylon. Now, who were these men that ruled them and who's, who are contemporary with Old Testament history? Well, the first is Cyrus. And as uh, uh, far as the Bible is concerned, the thing that's important about Cyrus is that a year after he conquered Babylon, he issued a decree that allowed the Jews to return to the land of Jerusalem, and he taxed the Jews that remained in Persia to help the Jews that returned, and he allowed them to go back and rebuild the temple. He died in 530. His son followed him. His name was Cambyses, and he ruled from 530 to 522 B.C. Then came a man called Darius I, 
always known also as Darius the Great. Now, he's not the Darius the Mede that put Daniel in the lion's den. This is another Darius. This was a general of Cambyses, Darius the Great, and he ruled from 522 to 486 B.C., a long reign. And as far as the Bible is concerned, uh, he is the man when the Jews had to stop building on the temple in, in 535 B.C. and work stopped for 15 years, they want, and they start again, they were challenged. You have no right to rebuild it. So Zerubbabel, the king, that is the governor of Jerusalem, appealed to Darius to search the library and find out if they couldn't discover the old decree that Cyrus had issued in 538. And sure enough, they found that old decree. And when they found it, Darius then sent, 520 B.C., he sent a, a directive which mandated the governor to allow the Jews to rebuild that temple. And they rebuilt it and finished it in 516 B.C. That's Darius. Then in 486 B.C., a man by the name of Xerxes comes on the throne. Or he's also called Ahasuerus in the book of Esther. The Ahasuerus of the book of Esther is the Xerxes of history. And he's known for several things, but the two things that stand out, number one, he is the Xerxes of the book of Esther who married Esther and who issued the decree that the Jews were allowed to defend themselves. And when their enemies, you remember Haman, who hated Mordecai, uh, tricked Xerxes into issuing the decree to allow them to kill all the Jews throughout all the empire, which would have destroyed all the Jews. Esther went to the king, and we're anticipating ourselves, went to the king who was also her husband, interceded. The king could not countermand his first order, so he issued a second order, and that is that the Jews would be allowed to defend themselves, and in the conflict, 75,000 of the adversaries of the Jews were killed, and Haman was hanged on the very gallows that he himself had erected for Mordecai. Now, every year, here in the city of Memphis, the Jews celebrate that. You know what that's called? Pardon? What is it called? Feast of Purim. Purim. It's held in March. Feast of Purim. Because the P-U-R, that word means L-O-T-S, lot. And it refers to what they did when they cast the lot. Determined who was going to be killed. The Feast of Purim goes back to that event. Xerxes, he lasted till 465, and then another man came, came on the throne. His name is Artaxerxes Longomanus, because he reigned so long, from 465 to 422. Now, he's the man uh, under whom Nehemiah served as the cupbearer to taste the wine to see whether it was not poisoned. And Artaxerxes is the king who issued the decree that allowed the Jews under Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the 
What? The wall. So you got Cyrus, who issued the decree to rebuild the temple, and Artaxerxes Longamanus, who issued the decree to rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah went back and rebuilt the walls as he had, as he had done. Those are the Persian kings. Now, let's, having covered that, let's cover the chronological, give a chronological or overview of the restoration period. And I've done that fairly well on that outline. And about all that we're going to do is just go down that outline, and I'm going to make some comments on that outline. Point number one, the first return. So you got the first return. Then we have a long period of silence, which is broken only by the story of Esther, but that takes place back over in Persia. Then you have the second return, and then we have the third return. All right, number one. The first return to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple, 538 to 516 B.C. The scripture, Ezra 1 to 6, Zechariah 1 to 8, the book of Haggai, and Daniel chapter 9 to 12. Now, what are the events? How many events do you have on your copy? Seven events? All right, seven. I didn't have time to get this mimeograph, so we photostatted them. But they, but they all come off the same whether photostatted or mimeographed, and here it is, seven events. Now, let's look at them. Number one, Babylon Falls, October 539 B.C. That's recorded in Daniel chapter 5, verses 17 to 31. Cyrus had already defeated Babylon, not the city, but the, uh, but the country, in the decisive battle of OPIF, which lies, oh, I would say maybe 60, 70 miles northeast of the city of Babylon. Babylon's on the Euphrates. Opus was on the Tigris, and it was the key city. And Cyrus defeated the Babylonians at a decisive battle at Opus, and that left the city of Babylon wide open, although they thought it was impregnable. U-G-B-A-R-U, Yugbaru, was Cyrus' officer, was able to invade and to take Babylon without a fight. How long did it take him to overcome Babylon? How long? One night. One night. While the soldiers defending Babylon were drunk, one night, they overcame it. And King Belshazzar was slain. That's Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar was slain on that night, and that was October 12, 539 B.C. Now, soon after that, a man by the name of Darius the Mede, probably the same as General Gobrias, became the interregnum king of Babylon until Cyrus came down to the city. Cyrus is still pressing his victory. Darius appoints governors, and Daniel was one of the three presidents over the satraps. Let's go over to Daniel chapter 5. It'll be worthwhile looking at this. Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, verse 30. Daniel 5, verse 30. Now, I'd suggest you keep your finger, put something in Daniel, 
so that when we refer to it, we won't have to take quite so long to discover it. Daniel chapter 5, verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar, that's the king of Babylon, the second king of Babylon, the co-regent with his father, Nabonidus. That night was Belshazzar, the king of the, of the Babylonian slain, and Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Chapter 6, verse 1. So it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, there over the 120 satraps or states who should be over the whole kingdom and over these 120 princes were three presidents of whom Daniel was the what? The first. Now look up here. The first. Who was the number one man? Cyrus. Who was the number two man? Darius the Mede. And then who was the first, the chief of the three presidents? Daniel. So that prophecy that he'd be the third of the kingdom was fulfilled, but it was fulfilled in the next empire. And Daniel held a very high exalted position. And he's about 85 years of age. Verse 3, uh, verse 2, over these three presidents whom Daniel was the first, the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the princes and the presidents because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Well, they didn't like the fact that a Jew was over them, so you remember they plotted against him, and they got Darius to sign that edict that nobody could pray to his God for 30 days, and Daniel didn't stop. So they threw Daniel, you remember, in the lion's den, and you remember the story. Well, that takes place under this man, Darius the Mede. And Daniel chapter 9, I hope you've got your Bible still open now. Daniel chapter 9 takes place in the first year of Darius the Mede. That would be 538 B.C. In the first year, Darius, uh, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Mede, this is Darius the Mede, was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans under, under Cyrus, the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel the number of the years according to which the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he accomplished 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Sixty-eight were now gone by, only two more years. And in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel has that great prophecy which, with, I hope you're familiar, the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. So that's number one. Babylon falls 539 B.C. Number two, 538 B.C., Cyrus issues a decree authorizing the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Now that's given in 2 Chronicles 36 and Ezra chapter 1. Let's take our Bibles and turn quickly now to Ezra chapter 1 and read that decree. Ezra chapter 1. 1st Kings, 2nd Kings, 1st Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles, and Ezra. Ezra chapter 1, and the same thing is found in 2nd Chronicles 36, almost word for word. Ezra chapter 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, that would be 538 B.C., in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, 
the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and I think the Lord used a human mediator to do this. Who would that man be? Daniel. Daniel. See, Daniel saw this already. He saw it the same year. And Daniel prayed. Daniel chapter 9. The great prayer of Daniel, which he asked, Oh God, let us now return to Judea and Jerusalem. Then I no doubt he went to Cyrus and showed him the prophecy. So, verse 1, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus say Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and the Lord is charging me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. I, uh, Daniel must have had quite an impact upon this king, see? <laughs> I don't think this is simply pious language. I think there's some real meaning to this. And he says, here's a pagan God who says, he is the God. Let him go back to Jerusalem. Whoever remains in any place where he sojourns, that is, whatever Jew's going to stay back here, he's doing so well back here in Babylon, will let the men of his place help the man who's going back with silver, gold, goods, beasts, besides the free will offering for the house of God that's in Jerusalem. Now, the offering for the house of God is going to be free will, see. But the other, I'm going to tax you. There's not going to be anything free about that. <laughs> and that's going to go to help the ones that want to return. So you can either pay me now or pay me later, is what he's saying. You can either go back or you can help those who do go back. Now, that's 538 when that decree was issued. Two years elapsed before the Jews began to go back. So number three, 536 B.C., the return of the Jews to Judea. That took about seven months. They go back under a man by the name of Sheshbasher, and there are about 50,000 Jews that go back. And the first thing they do is when they get back is to set up the altar burn offering. Now turn over to Ezra chapter 2. You'll have all the listing of the tribes of the people that go back. We're not going to read them. We're not going to read them. But we get the number of them. And the number is found in verse 38. Uh, pardon me. Verse uh, See, what verse is it now? Uh, 64? All right, yes. Uh, verse 64. The whole congregation together, all the Jews that went back, were 42,360. Besides their servants, the maids of whom there were 7,337, and there were among them 200 singing men and singing women. That means there were about 50,000 Jews and that was a minority that returned to Jerusalem under the decree of Cyrus. Number four, point number four. After they got back, were back there about a year, they began work on the temple. 535 B.C., point number four, 535 B.C., work was begun on the temple, and the foundation was laid, and that's given in Ezra chapter 3. 
Now, we don't have time to read it. But the importance of that, well, can anybody tell me what the importance of the laying of the foundation of the temple in 535 B.C.? What was it signified? End of the 70 years captivity. Began in 605 B.C., ended in 535 B.C., when the foundation of the temple was laid, 535 B.C. But then, point number five, 535 B.C., the Savior, due to opposition, worked on the temple stock. That's given to us in Ezra chapter 4. There was a lot of internal and external opposition, and due to that, and due to the pressure of it, in Ezra chapter 4, work on the temple stopped. Verse chapter 4, verse 24. Look at it. Ezra 4, 24. Then ceased the work of the house of God which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius of Persia. The second year of the reign of Darius was 520 B.C. It ceased in 530 and it ceased up till 520. So that means there was 15 years with no work on the temple. Point number six, 520 B.C. God sends two prophets to convict the people and to encourage the people to complete the temple, and the work is then recommenced. Look at Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5, to see who these two men are. Ezra chapter 5, dated 520 B.C. Then the prophets, who are they? Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied in the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem, and the name of, and rose up, and they said, you need to get busy and rebuild the temple. Then rose up Zerubbabel, who was the successor to Sheshbazzar, and they began work on the temple once again. Now, I wish I had time, but I don't. But may I suggest you read, sometime today while it's still fresh, read Haggai chapter 1. Great chapter. Haggai says, look, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Look at that temple, standing in ruins, the grass is growing over it, and uh, only the foundation is laid, and yet you've got magnificent homes. Magnificent homes, and the temple lies in ruins. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Cyrus didn't issue a decree for you to go back and build homes. He issued a decree for you to go back and build the temple. But there the temple lies in ruins, and it's a disgrace to all these pagans, and yet you built, and he describes your homes, magnificent, expensive homes. Then, he said, you wonder why you put money in your pocket and when you go back to get it, it's gone because there are holes in your pocket, see? And holes in the bag you put the money in. So by the time you take the money on down to Union Planners or First National, whatever it may be, that money is all run out of the bags and you get down there with nothing in the bag. You wonder why, although you live in beautiful homes, got good jobs, you're living at a poverty level. The reason is, you disgrace God, you haven't finished the temple. And Zechariah came along, said the same thing. And it convicted the Jews in Jerusalem, 
And they rose up and began the temple, and it took them about four years. And in step, step, well, what happened was, when they started rebuilding it, one of their enemies, a Samaritan, came down and said, you have no right to do that. So Zerubbabel sent back to Darius the Great, the king, back in Persia, and said, will you please search the library? Find out if in the library you can't find that old decree of Cyrus. And sure enough, they had a good librarian back there. <laughs> See? They had a good librarian back there. And they found that old decree, and Darius read it and said, certainly, they have a right. So Darius wrote a letter, sent it on back, and said, don't bother them. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to help them rebuild the temple. See? And the, the enemies thought to themselves, I wish I'd never raised the issue at all. And they got to work on it, and they finished it by 516. That's point number seven. 516 B.C., the temple was completed, and they had a great celebration in honor of the completion of the temple. Let's look at Ezra chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Ezra 6, 14 and 15. Then the elders of the Jews built, and they prophesied, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah, and they built and finished the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. Darius began in five. 22 B.C., so the sixth year was 516 B.C. That's 70 years after the fall, isn't it? When was the temple destroyed? When was the 1938 A.D.? No. When was the temple destroyed? 586 B.C. How many of you were here last Friday morning? <laughs> When was the temple destroyed? In the third deportation, 586 B.C. When was the temple completed and dedicated? By how long is it between 586 and 516? Seven years. So you can figure the 70 years either way. Probably from 605 to 535. All right, that's point number one. Now let's go to point number two. Point number two in your outline is the story of what person. Now, over in Jerusalem, nothing takes place. If you look up here, nothing takes place between 516 and 457. That is nothing that's found in the Bible takes place. Here are almost 60 years of silence, 59 years of silence. Nothing is recorded about this period. In, in the Bible, in, in Jerusalem, Judea. But over in Persia, in the palace of Susa, something is recorded, and that's the story of Esther. And Esther takes place about 480 B.C., technically 483 to 473 B.C. That's the story of Esther. And you probably know the story of Esther, so you won't have to spend much time. What it does demonstrate 
is that the uh, uh, book of Esther demonstrates God's providential care of his people even outside the land. Now the king is a man by the name of Xerxes. 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 He's called Xerxes the Great. Xerxes the Great. And uh, in the Bible, he's called Ahasuerus in the book of Esther. Now, 482 B.C., Xerxes goes to war against the Persians. The great, the great objective in his life is to defeat the Greeks. Uh, did I say the Persians? I meant the Greeks. So, eventually he gets a vast army and a navy. And he moves his army across Asia Minor and over here and down through what's called the Battle of Thermopylae, Thermopylae Pass, and all the way down south. At the same time, he moves his navy. He suffers two decisive defeats. The first one is the Battle of Salamis Bay. One, his navy is destroyed. And in the second one is the Battle of Soldiers on the Plain of Plataea. And those are two decisive defeats. And Xerxes puts his tail between his legs, goes on hold. Never again to try to go over and conquer the Persians. But that thing, by the way, rankled in the minds of the Greeks. And 150 years later, a man by the name of Alexander the Great built a vast army machine, and he marched over here and conquered Persia. That defeat and virtual decimation of Greece they just virtually leveled it. That thing rankled in the minds of the Greeks for years and years and years. Now, when Xerxes got back, he married a young lady. He had banished his queen, Vashti. When he got back, he selected a young lady, a new queen. Now he knew who she was. Who was it? Esther. Esther. And then a man by the name of Haman, who hated the Jews, and hated Mordecai because he wouldn't bow down to him. Haman got the king very foolishly to issue a decree that that on a certain day, on a certain day, they could kill all the Jews all through the provinces, all through the empire. It was open season on Jews all through the empire. So Mordecai, Uncle Mordecai went to his niece, Esther, the wife of the king, he said, he said, what are you going to say? She said, well, I'm not going to say anything. If I do, I'll, my head will be chopped off. Well, he said, Mordecai, in a great passage, in Esther chapter 4, verse 12. We're not going to, don't turn there now. Great passage. He said, I'll, Mordecai said, I want you to know that God is going to deliver his people. That God is going to deliver his people. One way or the other. Now, God is going to deliver it. Now, you can get either be in on the thing and be God's instrument or stand outside the thing and be killed. But even though you're killed, the work of God won't be killed. Deliverance shall arise from another quarter. Well, the uncle's message was pers rather persuasive. So Esther went into the king one day, which was a difficult thing to do, and told him the plight. And I am a Jewess, 
and here's the plight. And the king was incensed. He couldn't countermand his order, so he had issued another order. And that gave the right of the Jews to defend themselves. And that day came, and they extended to two days, and 75,000 adversaries were destroyed, and Haman was hung on the very gallows that he had erected. Every time he drove down his Cadillac, he looked up at those beautiful gallows. Boy, he said, I'll be glad to see Mordecai hanging there. When he went to sleep at night in dream, you know what he dreamt about? Mordecai on the gallows. And when the story's all over, Mordecai's on the road and Haman's on the gallows. See? <laughs> the mills of the gods grind slowly, but they grind surely. And Haman was put to death on the very gallows that he himself had erected. And God preserved the Jews through this young lady, Esther, and the Feast of Purim was instituted. All right, number three. Number three, the second return under Ezra the Reformer. That's given to us in Ezra chapter 7 to 10. That's when Ezra lived, given to us in Ezra 7 to 10. And that's the second return. The leader is Ezra. The date is 457 B.C. And the king at that time was, uh, what is his name? Artaxerxes Longamanus. Artaxerxes Longamanus. Now, that's not what they called him. That's what he's known in history because he reigned a long time. So that return is given to us. Look at Ezra chapter 7, will you please? Now, between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7, you got about a half inch space between Ezra 6 and Ezra 7, about a half inch. What else do you have between there? About 60 years. About 60 years between Ezra 6 and 7. Ezra didn't live in Ezra 1 to 6. He lived in Ezra 7 to 10. Now look at Ezra 7, verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon. That is, he went up to Jerusalem. And he was already scribed the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of Israel and the priests, Levites, singers, and porters, and Nethim, unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes began 465, so the seventh year is 457 or 458 B.C. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month which was the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the month, he began to go up from the Babylon, and the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. It took him five months, according to the good hand of his God upon him, for Ezra repaired his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Beautiful verse, verse 10. I've often spoken Ezra 7, 10. Ezra had set his heart to, one, seek the law of the Lord, number two, to obey it, and number three, to teach in Israel statutes and ordinances. Where do you think you could write that? Where could you write that? Over the portals of Mid-South Bible College. See, that's precisely what we're seeking to do, to study the Word of God, to obey it, and to teach our students and those who attend the classes the Word of the Lord here at Mid-South Bible College. That's a great verse, Ezra chapter 7 
verse 10. Let me tell you the story quickly, then we'll have to leave Nehemiah briefly till next time. About 1,800 people went back in the second return. They began the journey. They stopped at a place called Ahava because they found out they didn't have any priests. The priests and the Levites were living so high on the hog in Persia, they didn't want to go back. So they stopped and made an appeal, and they then continued the journey, and they got back in about three and a half months. Ezra found definite spiritual problems when he got back, and he had a revival and a reform. He was overwhelmed by the deplorable condition which he found back in Jerusalem. So he, Ezra chapter 9, he falls on his face and prays earnestly to God and confesses his sins and the sins of the people. And the people were so impressed by this, in the right sense, that they all publicly confessed their sins and there follows an examination. The great sin that he found there was the intermarriage of Jews with pagans. Well, the Edomites and the Ammonites and the Ashdites, which are the Philistines, intermarried. So Ezra took what we would consider very drastic steps. He made the Jews, Jewish men, taking pagan wives. You wouldn't find a Jewish woman normally taking a pagan husband. The daddy wouldn't allow that. But you find pagan, uh, Jewish men taking pagan women, marrying them to wives, maybe more than one wife. He took drastic measures. He ordered under the king's authority for all those men who had taken pagan wives to separate themselves from those pagan wives. And they did that, and they had a great revival and a great reformation under this man, Ezra. Now, later on, when we come to the book of Nehemiah, we find that Ezra is still living at that time. Now, that's as far as we got this morning. Next time, Father, we thank thee for this time together. Thank thee for these men who have persevered in the study of the Old Testament all through these months. We know that, uh, that we know that we won't get it the first time, won't get it the second time. In fact, we've studied it many times and still there are new things that we learn. And this is simply because the Bible is inexhaustible. Yet at the same time, we must begin somewhere. We know that by getting a fairly solid grasp of the history of the Old Testament, then the Old Testament becomes a living book to us. We're able to fit the Psalms into David's life and Haggai and Zechariah into the history of Israel and it becomes much more meaningful to us. More than that, as we watch this history, we see that, that thou didst prepare all these things in order ultimately to prepare for the coming of thy Son, Jesus Christ. When all things were ready, when all things were ready, Jesus came. God sent his Son in the fullness of time. Thank thee for this. Thank thee for the men here. Give us a good day today. Help us to accomplish what we need to accomplish at our work. Help us all to be good witnesses for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.